The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash podshock. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch now in the iTunes App Store. Live from some caves in Wenley Moor, this is Doctor Who Podshock. The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 265. My name is Ken Deep, alongside Mr. Louis Trapani. Hello, welcome. And across the great pond, Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper. And he's very amused at Ken's language. You didn't hear that. <laughs> no, that was, uh, was something that goes on the blooper reel. That goes on my symphony reel. <laughs> so I hope everyone's doing well. Particularly myself, I'm doing well, although I've just had a, an injection, a flu injection, since they think... They I'm injected you with the flu? No, well, apparently, well, yes, I suppose. <laughs> I had a bit of a shock because they'd uh, they give me the bird flu one as well, but uh, they think an old man like me needs protection, so there you go. <laughs> they need protection just by a gun. <laughs> I, I figured maybe they were, they were injecting you with that... Um, that antidote for the Silurian virus. Mm. We'll get... Nice segue. <laughs> yeah, so I just came off uh, doing a marathon of the Silurians. It's um, we'll get to that in a minute, but we'll, we'll I guess we'll we'll dive into some Doctor Who news. And first up is uh, they uncovered a they discovered a script for a a twenty three minute. Doctor Who adventure, which um, surprisingly had cast, which was well, they, it it would have had cast Peter Cushing, um, his Doctor, Doctor Who, as it were, in a um, in an audio adventure. So this was um, written by uh, Malcolm Hulk, who's um, who 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 um, is the writer of the Slorians, which we're going to be getting to later. So, uh, but it's was uh, now it. It was to be recorded in 1965, I believe, by independent company, and uh, um, and I guess it 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 didn't actually get recorded, did it? No, I don't think so. No, yeah. uh, the journey into time. Yes, journey into time is the title. Was well, set to be 52 episodes made for Australia and overseas, starring Peter Cushing, and this was. The pilot episode written by Malcolm Hulk. Very interesting that it was tailored to uh, Peter Cushing's Doctor. Yeah, because a lot of people didn't even know this existed until it decided it was going to rear its Malcolm Hulk written head. 
And uh, the title, I think, is a bit of a play on. There was a very famous radio play here in the UK, a series called Journey into Space. So I don't know whether they picked Journey into Time to... Um, to play off that. Yeah. 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 First, it was, it's interesting that they chose to make a radio drama because there is no precedent for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For Doctor Who at that time, so this would have been the mid '60s, and they would have Cushing would have brought the Doctor to the big screen and in color and and capitalized on the Daleks, but there there were no audio dramas or Big Finish or any BBV or any of the companies that have put on audio through the '90s and and into the 21st century. In even the earliest radio dramas, I think might have been. With uh, Exploration Earth with Tom Baker, perhaps, and Liz Sladen. That would have been sometime Didn't, in the didn't um, John Pertwee do a audio story? In the 90s. He, he did one in the 90s. I thought, I, is that, um, do you remember the name of that? Is, is it the one that begins with a P? The, um, You're thinking of the Pescatons, which... Yeah. Would have been Tom Baker. Okay, then that's the one I'm thinking. Endlessly, uh, written by Victor Pemberton, and and then the two that part we did with Liz Sladen and, and Nicholas Courtney were in the '90s, and I think they were written by Barry Letts. They were for BBC Radio in the '90s and reuniting the cast, Ghosts of. All right. Well, it's um. It's pretty interesting. This um, most event space I thought was kind of it was just very strange because it had it introduced the brigadier's Sicilian relatives or something. It was something completely ludicrous for the character. Um, where the Paradise of Death was a little more um, well thought out. I'll put it to you that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that first audio production uh, that you mentioned, Doctor Who and the Pescocons, first released on LP record in 1976. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, this would have been almost 10 years before So this that. would have preceded that by yeah. a decade, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so it's groundbreaking for a number of reasons. One, it would have had the extension of the Cushing Doctor, and I, let's just call him Doctor Who because there really is no other way of putting it. He's not part of the canon officially. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it would have been almost its own series the way the Australian canine series is a thing unto itself and not part of canine. It's like what do you do with the canine, the Bob Baker, Dave Martin Australian canine series but just kind of put it off in that corner there and hope it goes away. And also what's interesting is uh, the series would have involved um, historical figures such as uh, Julius Caesar and Marco Polo and cavemen. Yeah, if only they had a way of doing that in the in the classic series. That would have been – I mean I could see where that would come in handy. You know, if only the, the Hartnell series would have had a way to incorporate Marco Polo into their storytelling. Yeah. And cavemen. Yeah, I mean that would have been fantastic. Imagine where the series would have gone. <laughs> it's interesting news, nonetheless. As we record, this is the today's the the twenty second of January, and I think in what three 
now, is it four weeks or three weeks now, is Gallifrey 1 in Los Angeles. They have an exciting lineup, as always. And if you go to Gallifrey1.com... I'm going to bite the bullet here, Lewis. Yes. Are you going or not? I'm, I can't go, unfortunately. I, the resources aren't there. That makes okay. me the, the sole Podshock host attending, is that it? Uh, as far as I as far as I know, I don't. I believe so. I don't. Um... James is uh, will be obviously. I would have thought too busy in a, a, a different life that makes a commitment like that. Something that you you know you can't just do it as a a person in your own right, can you? I mean, well, yeah. For for people in the UK, it's it's obviously it's a little more of a of a trek than even for New Yorkers like Lewis and myself. Well, I think our listeners, uh, and I include myself as a listener to Podshock, would be very sad to hear that news, uh, Lewis, because um, the uh, Podshock has been a great part of that. It was uh, great last year. You had in the uh, fantastic coup of bringing um, the special uh, director of the very first Doctor Who. And uh, is somebody going to pronounce his name for me? Because I'll get Morris it wrong. Hussain. Morris, that was an absolute coup of you guys. And he's returning. In this year to Gallifrey to join William Russell and Maureen O'Brien in a very special 60s panel at Gallifrey, which is fantastic. It's probably the thing, most the most eagerly anticipated uh, panel of the weekend. And, in that, and there are a lot of great panels over the course of that weekend. But that one is, uh, is going to be spectacular. And it's, I think it's being hosted by Gary Russell, who is the, the exact right person to to be asking the questions on that panel so absolutely because apparently uh, that that was the, the the bringing him on as a guest was that was that the first convention that he'd come on and he had done a few other appearances but i i believe it was his first gallifrey appearance and and basically the start of it i think was that um he had just never been asked, which seems kind of strange because it seems like they ask everybody. And so we'll ask is basically what happened with that. You know, right. Uh, and, uh, and he was one of two surprise guests last year with Pamela Salem as well joining us up on stage. But uh, sadly, I think this year we are not going to we won't be doing our our live show on stage at, at Gallifrey. Um but you've got a great legacy there as well because, uh, of course, Daphne Ashbrook is a friend of this show. And I believe one of the things that's going to be at Galley is um, aren't they going to do a live commentary of the uh, the Doctor Who movie? And as I was just saying, the, the amazing panels continue. They're doing a live commentary with Paul McGann, Daphne, E.G., Eric Roberts, uh, Philip Siegel. I, I mean, I, that's a that's a... It's a fantastic commentary. I think we had Jeffrey Sachs on the first issue, uh, the first release of the DVD, the the Region 2, Region 4 release. Mm -hmm. And then with the reissue, they have Sylvester and Paul McGann doing a commentary. So this is the first time to get such a, a large scope of people talking about the 96 movie and doing it in person, which is always fantastic because there's – there's usually a wonderful interaction with the crowd. 
Right. And uh, another guest is the, uh, is the young actress that plays Amy Pond, the young Amy Pond. Amelia Pond. Amelia. Uh, yeah, uh, Caitlin Blackwood uh, was just added kind of last minute when Mary Tam had to bow out due to a professional commitment, which, um, which is I'm kind of of mixed feelings. Of I've never met Mary Tam and I was really looking forward to finally meeting her. But then I'm, I, I, lo- I lose the opportunity to meet Mary Tam, but then Caitlin Blackwood comes in, who also I've never met, and obviously she's in the new show, and she is fantastic. I mean, I think, hands down, I, I don't know anybody who would say, oh, well, you know, we could have got somebody better to do that part. I think everybody was just amazed at, at how fantastic she was as young Amy. Uh, the reason I was laughing there, by the way, is just reminding me of uh, of Taris. Um, uh, he made a comment. I'd put a picture up on my Facebook page. It was a, a wedding picture of being in the car with my wife, Marilyn. And he said, you married Romana too? Of course, Mary Tam played Romana too because she had her hair in all these ringlets and she looked strikingly like Mary Tam at that age. So he said, you married Mary Tam. <laughs> you lucky devil, you. <laughs> yeah. It's a, another exciting lineup. Every year, the show keeps on growing bigger and bigger, and this year is no exception. So, if you uh, go to gallifreyone.com, you can, you know, you'll get the full gist of it. I think there's probably too many for too many guests to to ramble off here, but it's an impressive lineup. And, well, exactly. uh, it's, it's always a good, it's always a good convention. I mean, uh, for the past what four or five years now, you know, we've been attending, and it's always been a it's regardless of the programming, you know, which is always great as it is, but it's just it's a always a fun convention to attend. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, I realised that uh, I was I did feel as though the listeners here would want to hear it from you. You know what the situation is. They're obviously um, oh yeah, well, very much behind Podshock, and uh, they will be disappointed that uh, oh, you're not going to make a panel yeah. there. But it it definitely well, is. It's, de- it's definitely something that that. Um, um, I mean, I, I can. I'll speak for myself that it's definitely something that I would love to attend, and it's it's always, um, you know, we always love doing the, the live show there and, and covering the event. So it's something that um, if I if I could do, I would do, and um, it's just the resources aren't there to do it. Okay, I'm sure absolutely those people that are going. I mean, by the way, there are people I know that. Uh, actually can afford to go this year but have chosen to save up even more pennies so that they can go on the 50th anniversary year uh, which of course is coming on as ever faster yeah it's, that's <laughs> it's hard to imagine that it's yeah uh, uh, next year is the, uh, the 50th anniversary yeah so i'm sure uh, they'll do something special well i mean i hate saying that because they do something special every year but you know i'm sure it'll be another special year at gallifrey one next year as well indeed so I, I was going to switch gears to a more somber note but uh before we get to that let's let's stay on the high note here with um that Stephen moffat has confirmed that there's 14 episodes at least 14 episodes for next series which is um which is a good which is good news i mean he had i believe he had tweeted that some time ago but there was then you know since then there there was talk about an abbreviated series or um all this other you know 
stuff going back and forth. And um, so I, I guess this now he has confirmed that it will be at least 14 episodes, which is um, including a Christmas special in in the next series. We just Indeed. We, we just don't have uh, um, actual dates, do we? Um, I, sorry, we it's going to be a fall series as, as far as we know, right? Yeah. Well, th- th- this absolutely confirms the fact that uh, this split series was really a device to move us back to autumn, where I believe Ken has always said that's where Doctor Who belongs. And it absolutely belongs in the autumn. I like the show as the the weather starts to get cool and the days get a little shorter and you have a chance uh, to, to go inside at tea time when it's starting to get dark out, if it's not dark already, and you put on Doctor Who and you sit back and you watch and kind of gets you through those uh, those dark days. I don't like it from the Easter starting point when the days are getting longer and everybody's getting spring fever and you can't wait to go outside and it's bright and sunny out till 7, 7.30 in the evening and there you are inside watching TV. To me, for a show that has the kind of atmosphere that Doctor Who can have when it's doing the spooky thing, yeah, Daylight just works. It's like watching the X-Files at noon. It just doesn't work. And you're supposed also, to be watched in, in the dark. And, and, and the show is competing with, you know, for, for the for, – we always say it's a family show. But for the, for the younger viewers, they're competing with, you know, outside activities and stuff Absolutely. that they could, they could be doing outside. Although there is an argument to be said that that the the geeky amongst amongst us don't go outside at all, <laughs> <laughs> and we know better. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I agree with Ken. I think that it. I think the show. I, I you know, obviously we watch it any time, <laughs> night or day. But but I, I think traditionally, I think the show does well. It started in November, you know. I, I think it it's, it does well as a. As a fall series, I think you know, and and as Ken said, with um, you know, at the time slot that it airs, it's it's better you know in a darkened room than you know the sun coming through the blinds, and so I I think it's a good move. Don't know if we covered it in that last episode or not. Um, if I mean, it's been this isn't. I mean, it's something that we knew was coming, but it's been confirmed that we'll see. We'll, we'll send out. Pond farewells to the ponds. Amy and Rory Pond <laughs> Williams will be bidding adieu to them sometime in in, in this upcoming series, and uh, the Doctor will have a um, a new companion. Indeed, I think a lot of people, until they saw uh, the sort of cameo at the end of the Christmas special, uh, they probably thought that the the ponds had actually been. Uh, Delivered to their new house with a new car, and and in fact, uh, I'm of the opinion, really myself, that their short story should have ended there, uh, living in a house with a blue door, and uh, <laughs> having perhaps uh, a real baby this time. Yeah, I, I figured we're you know it wasn't when we saw the send off in in the last series, it wasn't going to be the real send off. I, I figured it, they were, well, how many times are we going to do this? I know, I know. <laughs> Uh, it's the same with the the journey's end slash end of time swan song for Tenet. 
Mm-hmm. Here we have the TARDIS being operated with all the companions. Everybody gathers around, but that's not really the end. Here we go sending Amy and Rory off. Oh, look at you guys living wonderfully, happily ever after, but it's not the end. And the one thing I'll say about the Christmas special was I was in, on my first viewing of it. I'm watching it and I'm, and I'm enjoying it. And I get to that very end. And I remember looking at the clock and thinking, wow, we're all. Ken? Ken? Wow. <laughs> I thought I clicked on he, something then. Uh, no, he's still connected. It was a nice little moment, and I, uh, I don't have a problem oh. with its inclusion. I just think at some point, we're, um, I'm, I like Amy, I like Rory, but along the lines of what we see with BBC America with... Amy saying, I had this imaginary friend and blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on, enough. The show's called Doctor Who, not Amy. You know, we, we lost you just... Amy have her own show called Amy Pond, and I'll go watch it. No, I agree. We, we lost you just for a moment there, Ken, when you said you looked at the clock and you said, wow, and then uh, well, you lost your that. audio. Oh, but... I, I, I said, wow, I... I this is great. We haven't seen Amy or Rory. I wonder if we're going to go an entire episode. Oh, no. No, there they are. <laughs> And I let out a sigh, a, a, an audible sigh, while watching the episode because I I felt a little bit disappointed that we just couldn't get through an episode mm. without having to somehow involve them. And it was a wonderful scene. It really, it really was. The the problem I have is that it just it's this over importance on the ponds. Yeah. And um, the the issue becomes like what happened with Rose, where we just tenant just was so hung up on Rose. Uh, you don't see the doctor pining for Tegan. Well, that's the whole thing. When uh, There was a, a, a part in that Christmas special where um, he says all his friends think he's dead. And I'm like, well, why? That's not really the case. Only, only the ponds, you know. And it just, it just seems to, to have a narrow vision that, that um, it's just, you know, his only friends are, are the ponds. And and the the BBC America thing, you know, obviously it's it's a marketing tool designed to lure people who may not be familiar with Doctor Who. Uh, the casual viewer will will start the show from the point of view that there's this girl who has an imaginary friend. Okay, cool. But it, it it actually is a bit misleading. And if you stay with the show for the long run, it will only serve to confuse. And so uh, that led me, to, of course, to, to to have some of my own BBC America intros from now on. So I have um, – when I was a little girl, I had a grandfather and I went to the Coal Hill School and, and things like that. When, when I was a little girl, uh, I, I, I dreamt of – of a guy with white hair and a <laughs> cloak and a frilly shirt. Like what – you know, come on. Yeah, it's – when I was a little girl in the tribe of the Sevateam, <laughs> I dreamed that I'd be running through the woods from an invisible monster when a man with a scarf would come running up and, and ask me to eat a baby. It just, I don't know. I'm just, I don't. I, I thought, you know, we gave up like those De Silver intros, you know, to Americans back, back in the 70s, you know, and we didn't need. There sp- are those who believe that life here <laughs> began out there. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, we didn't. And and it's yeah. Okay. Enough of my 
enough of my tirade on the Amy oh, intro. It's time for me to mention the tripods again. <laughs> yes, Dave, talk about the tripods. <laughs> Sorry, go on, Lewis. All right. Well, we go from um, some, you know, we go from some good news to some um, unfortunate news. Is that um, we report that Jenny Thomason, if I'm pronouncing her her last name correctly, Thomason, yeah, Thomason has uh, has passed away, and she has um, she she died at the age of seventy five. She was in the Doctor Who story Revelation of the of the Daleks, and she played the role of Tessenbecker. Tess Ambecker? Uh, Tess Ambecker, yeah. yeah. Tess Ambecker. Which, um, the name may not sound familiar, but um, I, I think if, you, um, if you've seen the story and, and, and you'll recognize her right away because she has a substantial part in that series. She was fantastic in that story. I, I, just was, I was just watching that story a couple of weeks ago because... Um, um, Coming as we're getting closer to Icon, um, and, and we're, we're starting to, uh, I, I personally, anytime I start getting close to conventions, like so, I've been watching stuff with William Russell and watching the '96 movie, and then in the, in the Icon mode, I'm I'm watching some Sylvester McCoy stuff, and mm-hmm. yeah, but we lost him again. Uh, well, while we just wait for him to come around, uh, people will also perhaps remember from that episode that. Um, we also had uh, the, the episode that she was in, the Revelations of Alex, also starred Clive Swift. Clive Swift from and from, from Voyage of the Damned. Exactly, played Mr. Copper in uh, Voyage of the Damned. So there's a connection there to New Who. She wasn't in New Who, but um, she played his sort of lackey that was browbeaten, uh, which was very similar, actually, to a role that she'd played for many years as uh, Ruby in Upstairs, Downstairs. Yeah, it was a um, a fantastic episode. Revelation of the Daleks. Um, I had some bumps and some things. I'm not I'm not particularly keen on some of those '80s era Dalek stories. Daleks are not really my my particular favorite. But uh, that's a Graham Harper directed story with a fantastic cast and fantastic production design, and and it's for its time. Doctor Who fans were asking for, can we get some dark stories? And especially anytime the words Graham Harper are mentioned, the first thing you think of is going to be atmospheric and dark and foreboding. And that, cer- that story certainly was. And it was on another, on another planet, Necros, I think it was called. Yeah, Necros. Uh, so, uh, you know, we like Doctor Who on other planets. Uh, Doctor and Perry arrive on Necros to attend the funeral of an old friend who has recently died. However, the tranquil repose is not all it seems. And I've got a feeling that's the one with uh, Alexis Sale playing yep. the, um, yes, the DJ. Mm, yeah. And Eleanor Braun is in it. I mean, the, like I said, the casting is just, it's fantastic. William Gaunt? Yep. All right. Well, sad news there. And um, in, in other related news, uh, um, now that, what's this digital spy story? I don't know. <laughs> We've read the digital spy one. No, actually... Um, Stephen Moffat had tweeted that everybody should start following Sophia Miles 
and that he would explain later. And the rumor that quickly circulated was that Sophia Miles would be returning to Doctor Who possibly as the new companion. And, of course, that immediately led to the fact that it might be Madame de Pompadour, which I don't believe for a second. I could see Sophia Miles returning as a companion. I cannot but playing see a different character. Renette, no. No. And the chemistry there, anyway, was with the 10th Doctor, wasn't it? Uh, uh, I, mean, to, I mean, absolutely the fans were swept up with... Uh, uh, that episode. I mean, the the regret that when he comes back and, and you know we see the funeral carriage going away. Hope that's not too much of a spoiler to people, but uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> no, uh, but an absolutely fabulous actress, and uh, if if she could come back to Doctor Who, I'd be very happy. And it won't be the first time that we had a actress come back to oh, play another role. Oh, I mean, I mean to come back as a companion in, in different, playing a different character like Lala Wood. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, she. Well, what's about like Karen Gillan did as well? Well, Karen Gillan played one of the uh, well. uh, fires, fires of Pompeii. She was in, wasn't mm-hmm. she? Yeah, she was one of the um, soothsayers or something like that. Yeah. And, and how about and Colin Baker? Yeah, he didn't play a companion, but yes, <laughs> and, <laughs> he was and, recast and and yeah. stepped into the role of the Doctor and and caused. You know, great confusion to people who are who are um, you know. Well, well, Maxwell looks like the Doctor, and then you had Lala Ward doing the same thing. I mean, the, the, there's a long tradition of this in Doctor Who. It's very simple. You get cast in the show if you shine, or the the crew takes a liking to you, or you have something. You, you wind up making a, a strong impression. They want to bring you back. It's it's just. Elementary, my dear Watson. Well, what about uh, Chantel Chowder? I can't remember her name from uh, mm-hmm. the uh, Utopia. Utopia, yeah. She came back in turn left as the uh, the fortune teller. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a this is a long-standing tradition, and Sophia Miles is fantastic. So I have no problem with her coming back. I think she's great. And one more, of course, the uh, the nurse from Human Nature, Family of Blood. She turned up as her own grand, great-granddaughter uh, later on uh, when David Tennant was saying his long goodbye as the, uh, as the writer. I also will add this caveat that nothing that Moffat said indicated any of that. It's no different than me saying to anybody else who follows, any of us who follow each other on Twitter, oh, check out my friend. You know, yeah. They're on Twitter now. Matter of fact, Moffat did it. Everybody turned around and said, oh, look, Stephen Moffat's on Twitter now. And no one said, oh, wow, Stephen Moffat's on Twitter. Something big must be happening. No, he signed up for a damn account. Yeah, and nobody believed me when I said that the next uh, the next enemy of the Doctor is going to be the tripods. <laughs> Dave, you are trying to bait me, sir. <laughs> You're trying to bait me into a discussion on the tripods, aren't you? <laughs> I know the listeners enjoy it. My audible selections, by the way, those four books, unabridged for the first time. Bum, bum, bum. I, I don't, if I had a, a tripods clip, I would play it now. <laughs> ooh, 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 caught me on the hop. Now, did, did I hear something about the... Well, I really... We should, okay, but, uh, well, we won't go on a big s- sidetrack here, but... Um, did I hear something about the tripods being remade? Yes, well, there was some possibility. There's there. the movie options owned by Disney right now, 
but much like the Logan's Run movie that's ready to come out, um, you know, don't hold your breath. Okay. Oh, I think you should hold your breath. I think you should hold your oh, breath. Oh, no, now I have to hold it again. The only thing that, that I found interesting, uh, I, f- I found some Tripods news. <laughs> oh, you you had a cue. <laughs> prepared there you go <laughs> now I feel the, like watching the, it the one thing that I, I learned recently that Chicago TARDIS during the big finish panel uh, Jason Hay Ellery mentioned that there was a short lived agreement I think it's with To Entertain they released the first two seasons that big finish was going to try uh, to do the third season as an audio drama to include in that DVD box set, which I think would have been fantastic to at least attempt to complete the trilogy. Um, it yeah. never materialized, and, and that's kind of sad because they really could have tied it in a bow at least and, and, and come up with something much like the animated versions of missing Doctor Who episodes, at least we have something as the placeholder to complete the story. At least now they've released audio books of the of the novels, but it's it's still different. You know, the the show took slightly different takes on the book. They did a, a lot of their own thing to to make it a serialized format and stuff. So curious to see what they would have done for the tribons. An audio version mm. like that. An audio play as opposed to uh, uh, just a book reading. No, I, I'm definitely in for it. Um, as far as um, I always enjoyed the you know, the, the television series. I, I didn't get to read the books, but um, I was always disappointed that there was never... Book three was never t- made into a televised series. All right, well, I think Dave wanted just to remind listeners to... Uh, um, Keep taps on. Uh, was it radio? Uh, was it Radio Four on? Yeah, just BBC it was just Radio Four. It's not particularly news, but let's get it in the news section. Just to, um, I've, I've been listening to uh, Barry Letts uh, reading, uh, narrating his own book, uh, Who and Me, on BBC Radio Four Extra here in the UK. But it's one of these great BBC radio stations that's not region locked. I believe perhaps when this uh, episode reaches uh, iTunes, the final episode may well have aired, I think it airs on the 26th of January, but they, uh, they, there is always a sort of um, uh, roundabout of, uh, of Doctor Who related things, apparently also the Scary Fires is on Radio 4 at the moment, so uh, it is always worth a look um, at Radio 4, looking at the audio drama, they always give lots of um, Information about upcoming things, all sorts of science fiction, and maybe we might mention this on Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi as well. But uh, certainly, um, the uh, the Barry Letts 
Uh, and he's very unassuming when he's reading it out. Uh, very honest. Uh, it, well, it comes across as very honest. Obviously, you take his word on that. But um, he's um, absolutely a delight to listen to. Uh, 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 an unassuming man who has, obviously, first-hand knowledge. He was there. It's from the horse's mouth, as it were. And fascinating to anybody who's either always been interested in Doctor Who or is now just discovering uh, the classic series. Oh, and Dave, before when we, before we started recording, when I was checking out this BBC Four uh, page on these, you know, Barry Let's Who and Me, uh, I had uh, noticed that episode six was missing. And now looking at, at the episode, so they have dates next to them, and episode six is dated the twenty fourth of January. So unless we time travel, it hasn't. Um, it's that's the reason why it's not available. So. Ah. Uh, and uh, and the seventh uh, episode seventh is the twenty fifth. So uh, twenty six, I think is it. Well, the the, the list I have says twenty fifth. Okay. So. Um, but anyway, if you go there and do a search for Barry Letts, who and me, you'll you'll probably find them. Uh, we don't know how long the episodes will be available. So um, the first one, episode one, was the seventeenth of January. So it runs from the episodes run from the seventeenth to the twenty fifth of January. So uh, um, I'm guessing, and this is just a guess on my part, that each episode probably has a, a week lifespan, perhaps, or a couple, I, I don't think they're going to be. You know, I, what I'm saying is to. <laughs> is to listen to what you can there. So if not, they, but they always have other stuff. They, they, there's other Doctor Who related um, stuff that you maybe that you might find there as well. So just it's just something that you should just always stay on top of if possible. Yeah, and the actual uh, written copy of the book, as it were, has a lovely picture of a Dalek and the uh, Third Doctor uh, with Violets. Says foreword by Terence Dix, afterward by Katie Manning. Yeah, I've heard the audiobook of uh, of Who and Me. It's fantastic, and and as a spoiler alert, it was supposed to be one of two. Apparently, it was supposed to have a second volume, and I don't think that had ever materialized. He passed away before. I don't know if he even began it because it wasn't too long after Who and Me came out that he passed away. So it does leave you hanging a bit. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But fantastic tales from from one of Doctor Who's most legendary producers, of course. I've always enjoyed Barry Letts' input on the DVD extras and when he's on uh, the commentaries. And he's he always um, adds um, extra insight into the production. And, uh, you know, he's, he always remained sharp till the end, you know. So he, you know, it was a valuable resource of information that, that he, you know, that, that he was. Mm. All right, well, I think that's going to round out the news. So if, um, barring any other late-breaking news, we'll be right back um, with Dr. Upacha. Hi, this is Graham Harper, and you're listening to Doctor Who Podshot. Hey, if you are going to Los Angeles in February, whether you're driving, flying, or using a time machine, or 
a time and space travel machine. Well, one thing that you would want to bring with you on your journey to pass the time, though this probably won't apply if you do have a time machine, is something to listen to. Yes, the long flights or long drives or if you're going by boat or whatever, you uh, probably want to have some sort of entertainment with you and none. And what better choice would there be than none other than Audible? Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. They have over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre, be it thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi, and more. Audible titles play on your iPhone, your Kindle, Android, and over 500 devices for your listening anytime and anywhere, just like this podcast. And for you, listeners of Doctor Who Podshock, Audible is offering a free, yes, a free audiobook download with a 14-day trial, so you have a chance to check out their service. And if you decide, hey, it's not for you, you still get to keep your free audiobook. So to download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. And as always, we like to make a recommendation or a referral of what you may like to choose. Uh, it's entirely up to you. You can choose whatever they have to offer. But since we are going to be reviewing Doctor Who and the Silurians soon in this episode, what better choice would there be than, well, the audiobook version of that, which is Doctor Who and the Cave Monsters by Malcolm Hulk. It's written. It's uh, narrated by Caroline John, who um, is um, you know in the actual televised story as well. So, but this goes. Um, this is five hours and thirteen minutes. So this goes a little bit more in depth than what you see in the television um, uh, version of it. So this is something that will give you a little bit more background information on the Salorians. And um, in fact, why don't I play a bit of it from, for you right now? Pointing to the eastern horizon where the sky was already dark. The little rogue planet stood out as a white disk in the sky lit by the sun. A month ago, the planet had been a dot in the night sky. Now, Ockdell could see it clearly. There were patterns on the surface, as though it too, like Earth, had seas and mountains. The little planet was travelling at an enormous speed towards Earth. Ogdell asked, Could there be life on it? It's been travelling through space for millions of years, said Cato. Life is only possible on a planet if it goes round the sun and gets warmth. You're sure it will not collide with Earth, said Ogdell. Our astronomers calculate that it will sweep by Earth, said Cato, patiently. Our seas will rise up in great waves, and for some days the air will be drawn up from the surface of our planet. But the air will come back, and the seas will settle down again. Ogdell had heard all this before, but he was old enough to know that even scientists could make mistakes. The planet was first seen two years ago. Once the scientists had made the Earth government understand the danger, the government ordered the building of these deep shelters. All over the planet, Earth shelters had been built deep under the ground. The scientists couldn't say how long the population must stay in the shelters. It could be days or even weeks. So to save taking down huge amounts of food and water and oxygen, the scientists had invented a system 
that would put everyone into what they called total sleep. It meant that the people would actually stop breathing. On the ground above each shelter was a device to detect the return of the Earth's atmosphere. Once everything was back to normal, these devices would automatically trigger huge amounts of electricity to wake up the sleeping reptile people. Cato said, Are all the animals safe? It had been decided to take a male and female of all the more useful reptile animals. What? Sir Dogdell, lost in thought. Our animals, said Cato. Are they in the shelter? They went down first, said Dogdell. I made sure of that. He paused. A pity we're taking none of the little furry animals. You are a strange man, said Cato. The little furry animals are dirty. Insects live in their fur. In any case, this event will rid our planet of the mammal vermin. When the little planet draws away our atmosphere, even only... And that was Doctor Who and the Cave Monsters, once again by Malcolm Hulk, who was uh, wrote the original story, Doctor Who and the Silurians, which we'll be reviewing in just a moment. So, um, yeah, that could be your selection or choose any that they have to offer. It doesn't even have to be a Doctor Who book. It could be, it could be um, a tripods or anything that we spoke about in this episode. Or it doesn't have to be anything that we spoke about in this episode of Doctor Who Podshock. But, um, but yeah, check it out. Once again, it's audibletrial.com slash Podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Podshock for your free audio book. Was brilliant the slyly toes did gar and gimble in the wave. Doctor! Come on, Bessie, be more cooperative. Oh, Mimsy, where the burrow grows and the moon. Doctor! Hello, Liz. You'll never get that thing running. Well, don't you be so disrespectful. I'll have you know this is a card of great character. I was very lucky to get her. Are you really going to drive about in it? Yes, yeah, certainly. I've nearly finished with modifications. Thought we might take her out for a trial run in a minute. And I wonder what that's for. Oh, well. Urgent message from the Brigadier. He's away, isn't he? Investigating some scientists. Yes, well, he wants us to join him. Miss Shaw and the Doctor will report themselves forthwith to Wenley Moore. Attend a briefing meeting. My dear Miss Shaw, precise... I never report myself anywhere. Particularly not forthwith. Oh, it's just his way of putting things. Oh, I'm sorry, miss. I won't go. I'm far too busy. Come on, Doctor. We was brilliant and the slithy toes. It would make a nice, nice trip for us. Oh, we could visit the caves. Caves? What caves? Well, that part of the country's famous for them. Oh, mm. is it? It is. Oh, all right, then. Ah, I'll dry you up there in Bessie. Bessie? Yeah, Bessie. And we're back, and we're talking about the Solorians, which is a, a classic, obviously, Doctor Who adventure. It's it's a first on on many fronts. Uh, it's well, first of all, um, it's Doctor Who and the Solorians, which is a a bit 
of an oddity because uh, it, it went out, you know, with the title Doctor Who and the Silurians. Uh, most of us just can't just, you know, know, know it as the Silurians. But um, it's interesting that, you know, they it went out as, you know, with the title Doctor Who and the Silurians. It was the first Doctor Who story that was in color shot on video. So we had the the, the pre—I mean, Doctor Who had just gone in color with the previous stories, um, Spearhead from Space, but that was shot on film. And uh, this was also Barry Letts, who we were just talking about in the new segment. Um, this was his first episode as producer. Uh, again, many firsts there. I also, it was uh, just on a technical note, it, I believe this was the first story that Doctor Who had used um, CSO, Color Separation Overlay, which is similar to... Uh, chroma key in the u.s it's it's the process of combining two different video images into one you know in, into a certain area of the of the, of the weather man effect uh, the weather uh, if you, yeah ex- exactly <laughs> <laughs> so and and any longtime doctor who fan knows that that became a mainstay especially in the in the 70s uh you know the use of cso and doctor who so um, so, so many firsts there, and it was relatively, you know, um, even though it was John Pertwee's um, second episode and um, Caroline John's, I mean, it, it was basically a, a new, um, a new concept. You know, we had the Doctor Who on Earth, uh, the Doctor, you know, stranded on Earth. We had um, a new companion. The, the Doctor was relatively new. So, uh, oh, and it's um, basically the first story that introduced, well, the first full story with Bessie as uh, the Doctor's car. Um, and it introduced the Silurians, which um, the, the Silurians will return along with um, their relatives, you know, the, the Sea Devils. And the Silurians are not, um, you know, and, and obviously they, they we've seen them in modern times too now. So um, yeah, they were in the 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 two part of story, the Hungry Earth and Cold Blood, which were broadcast in May two thousand and ten. Yes, yes, and uh, and then we, we see one of the uh, was it um, what was her character's name? The we've seen another one in this past series. Uh, far, far de- I can't remember her name now. It was the same actress. I don't think she was playing the same Silurian, was no, it? No, no. Um, I, I, it begins with a V, I think. Post-production note, the character name I was thinking of was Vastra, who appears in A Good Man Goes to War from 2011. So anyway, yeah, so it introduced the Silurians. Other interest, other interesting facts about it is that it was um, that as far as the DVD, as far as the DVD goes, this was a um, another color restoration. There was a, another. There was a. Well, we should back up um, that the the existing before. Um, you know, we all know what happened with Doctor Who um, videos that the, that they were. Um, so many of them were lost, and um, some were recovered. Some were only in black and whites. They had distributed um, black and white film copies of Doctor Who um, episodes, even though they were shot on video, to countries that didn't have color TVs at the time. And some of the restored episodes, uh, some of the recovered episodes, rather, were only in black and white. And Doctor Who and the Silurians, when I had first seen it, was in, in was one of those uh, stories that were in black and white. And then they had... Um, 
they had found a color video copy, but it wasn't the, the definition wasn't really there. And for the VHS release, they uh, they, they combined the two, and there was a, the, the first like um, full color version of the of the story that was released then. And now for the DVD, they refined it even more. They started from scratch and they did the whole color they did the whole color restoration, um, which is more truer to how the story was when it went out. The, you'll still notice some color bleeding in it. Uh, especially at the if you look at the brigadier's uh, medals, you know on his chest, you'll see some of those colors bleeding onto his uniform. But minor stuff like that. I mean, it, I it, it's still it's a good looking episode, and I'm glad that they were able to restore the color as much as they did, and we can see it as close as we can to how it originally went out. Other points of interest is a. Uh, we were talking about the Tripods early, which is another British sci-fi series, but another um, British science fiction staple that that both Ken and I enjoy, and I'm assuming um, Dave does as well, is um, Blake Seven and yeah, Paul, Paul Darrow, Darrow plays Captain Hawkins, who uh, is um, otherwise known as Avon, and Blake Seven, who plays the what um, sometimes is known as the anti-hero. You know. And of course, he was in Time Lash as well. Yes, Paul Darrow. First of all, I have to say it was a delight, you know, watching um, a John Pertwee story again. But especially watching this story, it's been some years since I've last seen it, so it was really good to see it again. And um, the the DVD is is um, it's a nice set because it, there's um, there's tons. Of, well, there's about three or four uh, good extras that are included. The only thing I probably would have done differently was that they had uh, four episodes of... It's a seven... I should also back up and saying that it's a seven-part story, and there's um, they have uh, four episodes on disc one and then three on disc two, but then there's an extra on disc one, which... Um, sort of breaks up the flow. I rather have. I rather just see like as many episodes I can on um, straightforward, and then because I kind of watch the extras later, so it just means going back and forth. But it's it, it's okay. <laughs> but getting back to the story, I, I think it's it's um, it's a definitely a reflection of its time as far as um, you know the doctors trying to keep peace between the Silurians and, and Earth and Quinn's dead. He's been killed. A Silurian. A Silurian? Probably the same creature that attacked you. You saw it? I spoke to it. And it understood me. What was it like? Reptilian. Biped. Completely alien species. And it didn't attack you? Liz, these creatures aren't just animals. They're an alien life form, as intelligent as we are. Why, why, why didn't you tell the brigadier? Well, because I want to find out more about these creatures. They're not necessarily hostile. Doctor, it attacked me. Yes, but only to escape. It didn't kill you. It didn't attack me when I was in Quinn's cottage. But don't you see, they only attack for survival. Well, human beings behave in very much the same way. What are we going to do now? Well, I'm going back down into those caves. See what I can find out. Then I'm coming with you. No, Liz. Either I come with you or I go straight to the Brigadier. All right. Have it your own way. But the 
fate be on your own head. Um, I don't want to give anything away, but I'm I'm imagining that that many of you have seen it already, but or f- are familiar if you're just watching the new Doctor Who's episodes that you're familiar with who the Slorians are and 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 where they come from and all that. So uh, so yeah, this is when the Doctor first encounters the Slorians. Uh, they were in hibernation. Um, Within you know, within their base under, you know, underground, and their hibernation mechanism had failed, and through the power that, that this power station that um, that was operating at that time, um, you know, had awakened them, and um, and it was causing mischief there. And now the Solarians want to recapture the Earth. You know, they want to reclaim the Earth as their own, as it was before humans evolved and made it their planet. So. It's sort of, um, you know, turning on its side the whole alien invasion because it's it's not aliens invading. It's uh, th- these aliens were early. they're not really aliens. They're native Earthers that um, <laughs> that that want to reclaim the planet as their own. But you must see, this is a highly developed and overcrowded planet which now belongs to man. This is our planet. We were here before man. We ruled this world millions of years ago. Then why did you stay down here? A small planet was approaching the world. We calculated that it would draw off our atmosphere, destroying all life. We built this place and suspended our lives till the atmosphere should return. A small planet? Yes, of course. But don't you see that small planet was drawn into the Earth's orbit and became the moon? But I was just saying it's a reflection of the time period because it, it sort of mimics where things were back in 1970. Well, this was shot at the end of 69. And, um, and in fact, as we record this, we're about a week away from when it actually went out 42 years ago. On the, I think it was the end of January, the first episode went out. So it's a reflection of where we were at that time with the Cold War and um, – uh, you know where we were as a society. You know as far as um, trying to keep peace and friendly relations with hostile um, societies, because they didn't paint. Even though the doctor was trying to um, preserve the Solorians and and you know that they're intelligent, they're an intelligent race, and they shouldn't you know just be. Um, Destroyed, but the Solarians themselves were not goody two shoes either. I mean, they they had their motives, and you know, they, obviously, they wanted to wipe out the humans. So there was a balancing act that was going on there. I'm sorry, I think I stepped on someone that wanted to talk. Uh, no, I was just going to say that there was uh, there's quite a, um, a, a a lot of guests in this one as well. I mean, uh, you mentioned a few of them, but um, uh, also there's. Um, you said you mentioned Jeffrey Palmer, of course, but he was as well as being in Voyage of the Damned, he was also in the Mutants. Peter Miles, uh, was uh, who's in this episode, is also in the Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and uh, uh, plays Ni- uh, played Nida in Genesis of the Dalek. I think most people will remember that person. Mm, yeah. he also was in Paradise. Of, oh, those are in audio plays and. Um, Norman Jones that previously appeared in the abominable, abominable snowman, but um, this story is only what the uh, the second story of uh, John Pertwee, isn't it? Because the yes. spearhead from space was prior to this. Yeah, this was originally meant to be his third story, but um, the the second story, which was. Um, 
the carries of death, which would be later renamed ambassadors of death, were wasn't uh, wasn't delivered in time as far as the, the the story goes. You know, as far as the script goes, so they had to move this up because Malcolm Hulk, who wrote this, I, I should have um, prefaced our review that this was written by Malcolm Hulk and directed by Timothy Combe and. Um, and as I mentioned before, Barry Letts is directing, uh, is producing this, and this is his first foray as as um, producer of Doctor Who. But yeah, so this is his, uh, this is John Pertwee's second story as as the Doctor. And I'm just reading here on the wiki page where it says, uh, the Doctor remarks in this episode, you know, I'm beginning to lose confidence for the first time in my life, and that covers several thousand years. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. He's, he he does say that, and uh, and obviously that's um contradictory yeah. to the nine hundred that we now think of. And that Troughton mentioned he was about four hundred years old, so there's definitely a disparity there. Yeah, and later on, Tom Baker would say seven hundred and fifty or something in that range. And don't let us talk about how many regenerations the Matt Smith Doctor said on Sarah Jane Adventures. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, another um, interesting point is that this is the first story of Doctor Who that the TARDIS is completely absent, with no mention of it at all. You know, obviously, this will be probably um, a trend with the Pertwee years because uh, you know, obviously, he was he was stuck on Earth and all that. But it's interesting that you know, here we are. This is the first time that the TARDIS is like completely absent. Right, because we, we, there are quite a few stories where we just see the console, don't we? Uh, like in Inferno, um, it's the console that's uh, th- that's mainly featured in that. Yeah, and he's always trying to fix the um, what was it that 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 um, that I forget what it was that the, the little widget thing that to get yeah. him off the planet. Now let me ask you a question, Liz, because I haven't seen it recently. The dematerialization you, you, circuit. Ah, right, that's it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you've always said when I've listened to you in the past is that, um, you know, you, you need to watch classic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in with, the mindset exactly. of the period. Yes. So is that something you felt you had to do with this? Or do you feel as though it's well, I, I, I sort of do that automatically. You know, I, anytime I'm watching Doctor Who, I'm, I sort of put myself in the mindset of the error that it was made. So, uh, you know, well, you know, and, and that and also now that... Being a fan for for so long, I also then you know I, I, I kind of put myself in the mind of when I was first watching it too, which um, you know now is wow more years than I care to remember. So yeah, it's it's sort of a du- duality thing. There's a, a nostalgia of like remembering watching it for the first time myself, but then I you know I also try to put myself in the um, you know in the audience of the time that it went out you know when it like I said uh, this was a 1970s story and obviously um, you can tell that from you know um, you know even though this was at, you know the, the unit years those um, you know those John Pertwee years it's actually supposed to be set 10 years um, in the future so it's actually you know even though it's not obvious but um there were, it was supposed to be in the 1980s, even though it was obviously, you know, produced and shot in, in the 1970s. So, yeah, I put myself into that, into that. And, and 
you know, when I do that too with this, you know, obviously anyone that's that's um, coming to the story from watching just the the um, current Doctor Who, you know, you need to put yourself into that storytelling at the time was done a little slower. This is a seven part story so i think that equals what like two and a half hours or some something something like that and it's not like it, it's compared to today's doctor who where everything's fast-paced and the storytelling is done within 45 minutes or 42 minutes or whatever it's done very differently back then where uh you, you'll see the doctor working things out and um experimenting and um doing stuff which they sort of which today they'll just brush across because they're trying to keep the pacing fast and moving it forward and um you know and television is different i know uh, it's, it's just the the um you know unfortunately doing doctor who as it was then now wouldn't probably fly on on television today Right, but I, I I enjoyed the the longer you know I don't you know the 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 thing that which you can fill us in Dave is because you watched this you watched Doctor Who back when there were you, you know when it was weekly and you had to wait a week between episodes so seven parts uh, this end this began the end of January nineteen seventy and I think it concluded somewhere mid March so that's a long stretch of time of just watching one story. I don't know if, if um, even though watching seven parts now, I think this story, even though it's seven parts long, moves pretty well. I don't know how I would feel watching that, you know, in real time over seven weeks, you know, where it's the, it almost goes from, it almost stretches the entire span of winter. Well, not, you know, end of January to, um, to the beginning of, of spring almost. Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, we, we did have different times we went to there was one where it was time when it was doing twice a week and uh, and and so on but i mean obviously the cliffhanger that's where the whole point about the cliffhanger came and that's why you also get the uh, the the uh, the recap and that's why you got uh, the very famous mary whitehouse quote when uh, there's one part where the doctor's being strangled and held mm, underwater yeah. and uh, and she says how can you leave kids thinking about that for a whole week uh, and of course, she's saying that kids would imagine him that he's underwater for the whole week. You know, they don't just stop the film; that um, that that's where it's going. But um, I mean, th- don't forget Doctor Who was highlight TV then. Well, as as it's well becoming back now, but it, it was it marked the uh, the weekend for many young people, uh, and it was. Uh, I mean, things were pa- fa- uh, slow paced. I mean, I must admit there is still. Uh, episodes that seem slow when I watched them the first time, like Edge of Destruction, uh, whatever it's called, the one in the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if you can make one page of A4 paper last half an hour, uh, then that's what it was like. But, um, I mean, the thing is, all that's come after has come after, and you didn't have that experience at the time. So, to me, it... it it seemed. I mean, the worst stories, I mean, even the War Games, which is one of my favourite with 10 episodes, there was a, a bit of repetition. And even I think uh, uh, my own mind at that time was was noticing that. But um, no, I, it didn't seem that out of uh, a step in ordinary. And of course, you've got to remember that nowadays, young people don't only watch hundreds of channels, but I mean, they, they'll go and buy a box set of... Uh, you know, their favourite science fiction show and maybe watch 20 episodes over three or four days. Never mind, uh, you know, one story taking seven weeks. 
so it, it's a whole different world. Uh, but I was just looking uh, again at the uh, information about this episode, and um, we, uh, if it's not too spoilery, uh, one of the things that has a almost a, a lightning to um, the Christmas invasion is, um, is is an action that's taken against the Silurians, I won't say what, towards the end, where the Doctor's disgusted at, at what mm-hmm. has happened yeah. for the sake of humanity, as it were, for safety of humanity, exactly echoes what the Tenth Doctor felt in the Christmas invasion uh, when the Prime Minister... Um, yeah, uh, it echoes. Yeah, yeah they, uh, definite parallel there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's an ending where the spoiler alert. Skip ahead about a minute if you want to avoid any spoilers about how this story ends. Well, I mean, I, I, again, I, I don't know if we want to give any, you know, give things away, but yeah, the the doctor doesn't necessarily come out on top here at the end of this episode, so it's. Uh, it's it, it's interesting in that respect as well. What's that? The brigadier. He's blown up a Silurian base. He must have had orders from the ministry. No. The government were frightened. They just couldn't take the risk. That's murder. They were intelligent alien beings. A whole race of them. He's just wiped them out. You know, and and also, this is also very early on in the long relationship between the Doctor and the Brigadier as well. So it kind of um, builds some initial character development between that that relationship. You know, between the Doctor and the Brigadier, there. Um, you know, the, 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 there's some resistance, and then there's um, you know, obviously a, a friendship there as well. Uh, other interesting notes is that you'll you'll see the Doctor changing his uh, his uh, clothes quite often when he goes into the caves he's dressed as um you know like a miner or, or as as the other um people that are, are dressed you know the, the the cave goers there uh you, you'll later on in the in this story you'll see him in a white laboratory um outfit and all that where later in doctor who later doctors you they almost always stay in in their usual dress so it's interesting you know with with john pertwee he, he kind of um especially his earlier earlier episodes he seemed to uh to change to fit whatever needs that were necessary um other other things to look out for is that you'll see the doctor's uh you'll see john pertwee's i should say tattoo on his arm as well here so um. uh, uh, one one more point and I, uh, forgive me if you've already covered it but w- when you watch this uh, was it did you get this as a part of the box set because i think in the uk it was part of a box set called beneath the surface yes. wasn't it yeah, beneath yeah. The sea, the sea devils and warriors mm-hmm. of the deep Yes, I, that's that's included in this set, um, I, and that's how I'm. That's my copy is from this set, which I'm assuming you can get them individually as well, which are exactly the same, just sold individually. You can, yeah. 
again, we're being introduced to the doctor, really. This was his, uh, the John Pertwee doctor, really. Uh, his, uh, his second story here, right away we're, we're seeing his um, no respect for authority, which, which I always liked and enjoyed about the third doctor, how he, you know, he just doesn't care, you know, <laughs> you know, all these, uh, you know, ministers and other people that would come and, you know, try to, um, you know, bend uh, the situation to their liking, whatever. He, he just, you know, <laughs> he has no time for them. You know, I, I think I, I don't remember the exact line, uh, but there, there's uh, Palmer. Jeffrey Palmer plays Edward Masters, who's the permanent secretary of science, I believe. And the doctor says, I, I have no, you know, <laughs> I have no, I, I, I don't remember the exact line, but he said, I, you know, I have no use for him, whether he's permanent or, you know, or not, you know, he's just, again, he, the doctor just does what he needs to do regardless. I'm sure if this center is very much in question. Ah, but surely great promises for this project, Charles. Nuclear power into electricity, limitless supplies of cheap, safe energy. And we can do it too. Millions of pounds have been poured into this place with no results to show for it. But if this research center is abandoned, all of that money will be wasted. It would mean the end of your career, Charles. That's why I'm doing my best for you. What does your security man have to say about all this? Major Baker is convinced there are saboteurs in the caves. And are there? Well, of course not. How can you be so sure? Well, the whole thing's ridiculous. The Brigadier and Baker talk of saboteurs, and that doctor believes there are monsters down there. I beg your pardon. But didn't the Brigadier put that in his report? He was a little vague about the precise nature of the minutes. That's scarcely surprising. Look, Edward, I admit we've had a number of technical setbacks. Mine is not an easy job, you know. I realize Our that. problems can only be solved by scientists, not by security men. What do you want me to do? Get all these unique people out of my way. Let me get on with my job. Well, the Brigadier is only trying to help you. Help me? He's exaggerating this whole business out of all proportion. Merely to magnify his own importance. I hardly think that's justified. Well, you don't know him I'm as well as I do. I'm... I'm simply trying to find a solution to the problem. The brigadier and his team have his come down team? here with... His team? What, that girl and that crazy doctor? The doctor is supposed to be brilliant in his own way. He may be a little eccentric. The man's a raving lunatic. He's insolent, he's impertinent. He shows no respect for my authority. Ah, Dr. Lawrence. Just the man I wanted to see. Now, tell me, have you just had a power failure? Yes. How did you know? I see. Thank you. Now, just a minute. This is the permanent undersecretary. Well, I've got no time to chat to undersecretaries, permanent or otherwise. I must find the brigadier. May I ask who you are? You may ask. Well, there you are. I've only just heard that you were here. I've been trying to get in touch with you. Look, sir, what's happening about my reinforcements? That's one of the reasons I'm here. I'm afraid you're not going to get any reinforcements. May I ask why not? I can't go to the Ministry of Defence and request regular army support for you on the basis of a wild tale about monsters in caves. Sir, we have overwhelming evidence that there is something in those caves. You mean saboteurs? I don't know, but the caves are vast. To cover them properly, I must have more men. I'm sorry, that's out of the question. Then I have to go in with the troops I have. Brigadier, you are not to take your men into those caves. I've been down there and I know what's happening. Well, if you do, perhaps you'd be good enough to tell us. Yes, Doctor. I think you'd better. Uh, the obvious thing, I mean, going, you know, from today's Doctor Who to then, you know, obviously you always have to take in, um, into consideration their budget and or, or lack of it. And, you know, there, you'll, you'll see some of the white tape, you know, holding the Solorian's, you know, masks on, you know. Uh, 
some, you know, again, you just have to give them a, a bit of a pass there because there was only so much they could do with, with what they had to work with and the time that they had allowed it for. They got around that, I think, with um, the Sea Devils and, um, you know, they, they, they tried to do them a little bit better. But you'll, you'll see some of the 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 outfits that they're wearing, you know, the Silurians. Obviously, you'll, you'll see that they're outfits. There's the leader, and then there was uh, who is then overtaken by this younger Silurian who's taller, and and um, his acting is a bit little, or I would say a bit exaggerated. You know, he's uh, since he's car- since the actor's covered in this whole Silurian makeup and all that. I guess, um, and I'm, I'm assuming it's that you know the actor felt that he, um, he needed to kind of exaggerate his movements a bit, so he's kind of like shaking like a leaf every time he talks and all that, where the other Silurians aren't. I don't know. Maybe it's just a medical condition for the Silurian. I'm just looking as well at the wiki page. I mean, the viewership was still pretty strong in those days. Uh, first episode opened to 8.8 million viewers, which would be a fairly respectable uh, level now. I think the Christmas Invasion, the final, uh, not the Christmas Invasion, the latest Christmas special, uh, the final uh, number was like 10.7 million. So uh, this was, uh, you know, an ordinary. It was getting between 7.2 and 8.8 million for each of the different episodes. Yeah, it, um, I, I think it did well, you know, as far as viewership goes. Uh, another interesting point, I think Barry Letts um, in the commentary points out that uh, I think it's Fulton McKay who plays Quinn, if I'm not mistaken. I, I believe he had said that he was... Um, he was con- being considered for the fourth doctor if they you know if he didn't find tom baker he might have um had approached him to play the doctor right right mainly known in the uk for being the one of the prison warders in porridge with uh, ronnie barker uh, mm. that's it. that's the one where he's uh, pr- the prison offer in that I enjoyed the Slurians when I first watched it, and um, you know, way back when, and uh, and sub, you know, and, and since, and I think now after, even though it's been several years since I last seen it, I, I don't think um, I didn't come away feeling disappointed anyway. I think it, it still holds up. Um, like I said, that it's it's remarkable for various different reasons, as I had mentioned, you know, before, and um, I think it's a it's a good story, especially you know, it's it's one that you probably if you haven't seen it, you definitely probably want to see it and if, if you're familiar with the uh the Silurians with with doctor who today you know this kind of shows you how it all began and you'll see some parallels of you know you know of the of the most recent doctor of the most recent you know Silurian story as it was told you know with with um with matt smith you know compared to um going back to how it all began that you'll you'll see some mirroring there but I think it still holds up, you know. And and again, you, as you said, Dave, you you definitely have to put yourself into the mindset of when it was shot, when it was uh, made. Yeah. So, so definitely got, worth picking up. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it four and a half Tardis groans Ooh. out of five. Yeah. I don't think I can give it a rating because it is a long time since I watched it. I do have a, a growing collection of Doctor Who. Uh, DVDs, not as many as uh, many of the avid uh, followers of Doctor Who, but um, that's not one of the ones I've got. I didn't get that set, I don't think. I can't remember why. It may well be because I already had one of the three individually or something. 
it's definitely worth probably you know picking up if you can. Uh, there's uh, you had mentioned earlier about Jeffrey Palmer, you know, who plays um, Edward Masters in this. Who's also uh, uh, listeners may also know him as um, he plays um, he, he's he's he plays with Judy Dench in As Time Goes By, a popular series uh, which is shown in, in the states on PBS here. Um, but he's he also does um, some of the narrations on the extras. I, I, I usually have the DVD handy by me when I'm doing this. I, I don't. But um, there's also commentary, which also includes Nicholas Courtney, Barry Letts, um, Carolyn John, Taryn Sticks. Um, uh, let's see. There's, um, I think, Peter Miles. And um, what would have been interesting if they were, if they did get, you know, even if it was just for one or two episodes, Paul Darrow, but they didn't. It would be interesting seeing his his take on on you know going from here to you know later on to Blake Seven and the differences and all that. Unless anyone else has anything further to say about the slurrings, I, I think um, I guess that's it then. Indeed. All right. So next up, we have the final two segments of the Fraser Hines interview that that Ken had um, conducted. So, and uh, we're going to hear. Parts three and four, you're going to get a two-for-one today. Our third and fourth part will conclude with our interview with Fraser Hines. We sat down with him back in July 2011, and you may have heard parts one and two on some past Podshocks. Three and four will be, well, how about right now? In the Invasion, part four, which is one of the missing stories, is now animated on the DVD. Mm. But I think one of the sad things is that there's this incredible helicopter stuff that's missing, mm. that, isn't there? Where you're climbing a rope that's ladder right, yeah, and the helicopter's right, yeah. going off. Now, this is, it, it may be difficult to get, uh, to, to drive home, even in, with the animation and seeing it, that the animation is not exaggerating. You were climbing a rope ladder and the helicopter was lifting off the ground. Yeah, because the pilot actually just did what, I mean, they should have actually said to him, you don't have to climb, just hover. And the camera will do the, you know, the work. But he just did, did a natural thing. Is natural. Well, like, yeah. Yeah. So I was climbing up the ladder, and I suddenly looked down. The people were getting smaller and smaller, and the helicopter was getting nearer and nearer. And I thought, well, I'll keep climbing because the helicopter's now nearer than the, than the ground. You were uh, no, well, no safety. No safety harnesses. No, nothing. No. I, I, it's, it's, it's inconceivable to me that they would let this, one of the stars of the yeah. show climb a, a flimsy rope ladder onto a helicopter. Nowadays you have this clamp that goes down your sleeve. Yeah. And you go clamp like that. And it, so if your hand slips the clamp is holding it in the wires. But if they even went that far they could green screen it. Now there's a million, tr- yeah. you know, million tricks they could do. But that's, they, that's why in those days they did it for real. Nowadays with CGI they, they can just pretend you're climbing. You know, and the thing that's brilliant yeah. though is that it is real. Yeah. So I've, it will feel real because it is real. Yeah. It's so just a pity. Your hair moving and your that, that that part is animated rather than the real thing because it'd have been yeah. great to see probably the fear in my eyes of oh. <laughs> uh, and Bob Sidaway playing the lieutenant, you know, pulling me in. Yeah. Playing the the young uh, captain. In this in the same story, there's a scene where you're you and Pat are in a in a kayak rowing along and yeah, you're hard at work paddling and he's sitting in the back just steering isn't he I did I've forgotten that scene until I saw it on the uh, when we did the commentary yeah. for the invasion I just got you, you had no recollection of the kind no. of I, you know cause the, and you would do because they're quite difficult to get into and get out of yeah but I, I you know, no I didn't have any recollection at all 
And after seeing it, do you remember shooting it all? Oh, I, you know, just, I just... I'm not going to do the gag, because if I do the gang now people no, will, no, no, they no, will no, laugh no, when I do a convention you see I can't give too I can't <laughs> so give too much away can't give it all away because no. otherwise I'll say I've heard that alright and they won't laugh <laughs> by the commentary That's by the invasion it. you'll hear the gag you did another helicopter scene uh, in Fury from the Deep it was actually prior to that but that, that was right. your fir- only time it seemed, it seemed that you did a few few times yeah. that, like getting you in the chopper didn't it oh with, with little Debbie Watson yeah, she, she was very frightened of heights so I said, well, you can sit in the middle. And I said, yeah, there's only a three-seater, there's no doors. So on the tape, I just ran, overtook her, and I jumped in the middle so she had to be on the outside. Terrifying. She's terrifying. You're swine, you're swine. You trusted me. <laughs> you trusted <laughs> The girls seemed to be pretty good fun. Oh, yeah, we, we were very lucky that we had Debbie and Wendy. And then <coughs> and the two doctors, and Nicola Bryant was great fun as well. Seems Which like we watched the other night. You hadn't yeah, seen it. No, in a I hadn't while. seen it for years and years. In fact, when I get home now, I'm going to watch it again with the commentary, just because I hadn't seen it or heard of it. So I'm going to hear so the commentary yeah. next time. Yeah, you seem to have really, yeah, had excellent chemistry with with Colin, and you've gone on to big finish to do some stories with him. But yeah, you, gen- you have the whole second episode of that story. It's basically the two of you because. Perry's doing one thing, and and, the, and your no. doctor's been kidnapped. And That's, yeah, so, and Colin and I, we've known each other over the years. Uh, various auditions and uh, stuff like that, but never worked together. Mm. And we just gelled, so, because we, we come up the same, we've been in the business the same amount of years. You, uh... You discovered the other night a, uh, a clip in, in some of the outtakes that's on the DVD. There are some things that you, you hadn't even remembered. There were some some, some studio outtakes, and uh, yeah, you so seemed to be having some fun with the on group. The, on the, in, uh, the two doctors, yeah, I hadn't seen the outtakes. Uh, and it was, it was under sound and lighting or something, and we just thought, well, what does it mean? The lighting. So we had a look at it, but there were outtakes uh, and outtakes, and it was great. You know, I thought about it after we watched it. I figured out what that thing was because it says it's under the lights, and we're yeah. thinking, oh, this is some kind of thing about lighting. But under the lights and under the sun, meaning there was one for location and one for studio. That the studio was under the lights. And yeah, then and then the, the outtakes was, uh, was was when yeah. you were in in Seville. But there weren't outtakes as such as, as somebody cocks a lighter. Just some studio footage. Yeah. Except, except that last one where we walked into the room and they said cut and just instinctively I rewound and, and, and uh, Nick, I, I'm sure I must tell Nicola when I get back home for her to have a look at it because uh, it's, it's funny and it's funny when you see people when they say cut and the camera's still rolling so what they do they the nose actually, you know, <laughs> they don't realise the camera's still going you know. and then Gary down it was still rolling alright still rolling love alright go for another take you know <laughs> And they've done course, Gary Dance. Yeah, it's all right, lad, yeah. Like Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> but I must bring Nicola when I get home and say, look at the uh, the two doctors and just look under the lights. There's a lovely outtake and a great one of you and I at the very end. Because we, we ring up each other now and again. Sure, you actually going? you're going to see her at a convention, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, ClaudiaCon, uh, August 13th, 14th at uh, a hotel near Heathrow Airport. You do a lot of appearance, actually. You know, for hmm? considering that this is your first time in New York for Doctor Who, you're it's actually a, a pretty busy guy when it comes to, you know, yeah. going out to conventions. We're going to Glasgow as well yeah. in August, August 26th, 27th, Glasgow Con. That'd be good because uh, I like Scotland, so I got there. And uh, one in Swansea, going to Swansea as well. Mm. It's good because uh, helps sell the book. Hindsight. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you're you're. Autobiography so, yeah, is so out now. Now it's back. Mm-hmm. Twenty-two dollars paperback. 
$35 hardback <laughs> phraseheinz.co.uk there you go <laughs> which is a fantastic read and it goes all the way back to you know you started with, with Chaplin and some of the people you were with well, it's, it covers uh, the <coughs> entire it has some very good write-ups you know from sci-fi magazines and places and I, I wrote it myself because I, I like reading biographies and you can always tell when it's been ghostwritten because he wouldn't use that word yeah. she wouldn't use it but I I tried writing longhand but I, I don't like writing I don't like my writing so I just used to speak into a tape recorder and then transcribing it later and on. And then somebody would type it up for me. Right, because you sit and you, you have a way of telling some your, your stories, you bring them to life. Uh, because it. you're a stage performer. That's right, yeah. So you, you have a certain way of bringing it to life, and then hopefully it translates onto the page, which it does in, in hindsight. Well, if I had to say, I met Lisa Goddard, and we went out. That's because I'm writing it. I said, Lisa walked towards me, her blonde hair blowing in the breeze. She was wearing a caftan. You could just see through it as the sun... She was wearing a bikini. She came towards me, a perspiration. You know, you can describe it. Yeah. If you're watching these. <laughs> FraserHeinz.com. Yeah. You can email me there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about an audio reading of the book? An audio... Yeah, have you ever... No, that's in the, in the pipeline, actually, yeah. Will you get but to read the, read the audio book? Because yeah. that's incredibly popular. Mm. Audible.com, which is the one... Well, oh, Big Finish wanted to do it, but um, I've got to edit... Kind of thirty percent of the book. Do it like an abridged version. Yeah. So um, I mean, I said to David Richardson, oh, "Let me just look at that now and find out what bits I can edit out." You know, it's a couple of chapters. I think yeah, that can go there and that can go out. Um, but that's that, that's next in the pipeline as well. I always enjoy listening to a, an, an autobiography. You know, when the mm. when the, the person whose book it is is reading it because. Mm. It's your stories. They're your that's tales. That's right, yeah. You, hear, you can hear inflections and emotions that you can't get in the books. Uh, yeah. As wonderful as the book is, yeah, you, can, yeah, you still, yeah. you know, the, there's certain things about the original person telling the story. Now, now, that being said, I wouldn't know, I don't know if I could read somebody's autobiography if just a narrator was high. Well, I wrote it in the first person, you see. So if, if you were to do my book, you'd have to, or, or anybody else, You'd have to cut out the eye, so yeah. And I or did. Or if I said it, people it would seem kind of. They said no, you didn't. Like you're Ken D. You, uh, you know. Right, right. So you'd have to you'd put it into the. He he went to Corona. You, you couldn't say it'd have to be myself, really. Yeah. Because it is a, an autobiography. As opposed to uh, a historical figure or something where. Or a biography, know, which is somebody Washington or somebody writes John Wayne's biography. It's not John Wayne speaking. They write it. John then went on to film the Alamo. He put most of his money into it. He sold his Corvette, the Grey Goose, to raise a million dollars to put in the film. He did this, he did that. Mm. Now, John Wayne was doing it. He was saying, I sold my Corvette and I did this, and then I had to do... So, I mean, my book is written like that, so I'd, I'd have to be me. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you get that. Yeah. that that's something that you... We, we might be able to get, get out. I've got a couple of big finishes to do this year. Uh, it's just finding studio time, you know, with a big finish. Oh, it's will you be coming back with Colin, do you think? Is that I don't know. I just, just David said, you know, you know, um, on on Facebook the other day, you know, I said I read so and so, yeah. And he said, uh, keep a couple of dates free for later in the year, you know. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you what it is, because you're going to blab. No. no, that's what he said to me. Oh. I don't know, I don't know who right, I'm Because it would be on this. But I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm so glad that Colin... And I did that one, that, that trilogy, because that was fun. Yeah. Because we just, we had a good time. And in fact, Colin supposed to be staying with me this week when I fly back. Really? He's doing a play in Lincoln, and we're rehearsing a play, so he's supposed to be staying with me this week. 
Well, please Ooh. give them all regards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tell them that you had a gr- tell me had a great time in New York. Oh, he's been to New York, hasn't he? With, uh, he has. with Gene. He's, yeah, he's been here with uh, Gene Smith. Uh, he. He did a yes, he did the convention here. He yeah. did New York Comic Con a couple of years back. That's right, right. Yeah. And the which, um, which I haven't done yet, Gene. <laughs> Coming to think of making a stop over in, in yeah. October. Gene's got a lot of my hardbacks for sale. Gene Smith <laughs> has <laughs> got a lot of my hardbacks. Over at Alien Entertainment. Sure, yeah. the man who organizes Chicago Tardis. Yes. So which you headlined a few years ago. In touch with Gene, he's got the hardback. So I don't need to ship it from England. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all squared away right from the United States. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, but you have a pipeline inside the states for, for hindsight. So, uh, that's right. Yeah, I have, yeah. War games was your final story with Patrick. It's yeah, a monster story. And, 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 and Terence Dix did a, a great job writing six, uh, ten episodes because I think there's supposed to be two. There was supposed to be six and a four, and I, I think he wrote the six. And and he co-wrote it with Malcolm Hulk. They yeah, would, they would alternate. With yeah, them. and then, but I think it was the BBC said, "Well, we're not going to have a six and a four can we just make it a ten? You know, just make it a big... Yeah, so De- uh, Terence and Matt, oh, crikey, ten episodes. And I think they, they, they did a good job on that because the, the stretch of over ten episodes, all right, we, we kept getting captured and... Yeah, lots of captures and escapes. Yeah, and escapes, right? but, you know, I think it holds up. I've seen the war games, you know, two or three times. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It holds up really well, and I got to ride a horse as well, which is good. But not with the kilt, it's, it's, it's uh, not what's, a good thing. What's the last... Shooting the last part, like you know, it was very sad. It was very, very, very sad indeed. Because we did, you know, I always say this: we didn't want to leave, you know. But Patrick's wife was saying, "You must leave and do because she said you're you're better than kids' TV." Because there was only a kids' TV show in those days, Saturday five fifteen. Mm. And my age was saying, "Darling, done three years of television. Now you must do films." Judy Jason's doing films now. Richard's doing films. You must do films. Uh, we didn't want to leave, and I always say that they would have to shoot us to get it out of the TARDIS. Mm. And you know, we'd still be there now. You wouldn't have heard. Of David Tennant because we would we ain't leaving <laughs> we, you know, we'd have kept you know BBC we wanted to write you two out no nope, we would have got the TARDIS and materialised somewhere else is that part of the reason why you, you agreed to come back I know you did the five doctors yeah. and that was a small part because you were working yeah you I was supposed to be with Patrick all the time right and Nick Courtney I think was going to be with John Pertwee and when I couldn't do it they upgraded Nick upgraded to my doctor uh, and then I think Sarah Jane you know, took over for jo- with John. Uh, right, also when Tom couldn't make it, yeah. she was supposed to be with Tom. Yeah. Uh, but then you come back and did the two doctors. As a yeah, and, and I, engage, just, but, I but just agreed to do, uh, to do pantomime and then go back to Emmerdale. And I did the two doctors, and I, was, I really thought I shouldn't have agreed to go back to Emmerdale because I think if I had said to J&T, this is fun, you haven't got a male companion, why don't I just stay? And I'm sure J&T was a... Yeah, because he brought me from the Five Doctors, did that little cameo, and he mm-hmm. said, "You really were enjoying yourself, and you and Patrick. Would you would you do more? I mean, you would bet." Then what, a year later, whatever it was, we did the, the, the two Doctors, and I just was regretting having agreed to go back to Emmerdale because I think I, I, I could. I'm sure Jane T was said, right, like the Highlanders. Well, you're not written the next story. We'll just we'll give you a couple we'll of lines. Yeah. We'll find a way. that you, know, you say to your Pat, your Patrick, you know. Sorry, Doctor. I mean, you know, or I get trapped in the TARDIS and it takes off. You know, you're trapped with yeah. with uh, the then, six because you know, they didn't have a male companion. They only had him and Perry. You see, yeah. So that that would be good fun. Because as I say, Doctor uh, Colin and I did get on very well, and we do get on well when we do the big finish. Yeah, there's, uh, the, the chemistry picks right back up mm. with you and Patrick in that story, and, and it works because I think with someone who's in charge of big finish, and I never did any big finish, and. Uh, 
I said, well, how come I, I don't do red fillet? Well, your, your doctor's dead. I said, well, yeah, but I was with Colin and the two doctors. Yeah, but I don't like mixing companions. So why not other people? So the minute he left, he'd finished. I got a phone call straight away. Fraser, do you want to come and do a bit? Yeah, Companions Chronicle. And that, you know, started me on the ladder to working with Big Finish, which is it's great fun to do. They're lovely people there. And the, and the Companion Chronicles works very well, too, because it's basically you're telling a story from your point of view mm. that we didn't get a chance to see on screen. So it'd be like, you know, Jamie tells a story about, well, when I was with the second doctor, this happened, kind yeah. of thing. And it, and it, it allows the audience to realize that they're only going to hear your voice mm. or they're going to hear you saying, this is what the doctor said. Yeah. And and it opens it up where you have something you can say and it opens it up so that the companions of William Hartnell and of Patrick John and yeah. now you know, John Perry as well if they wanted to and the writers for the, 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 the companions are really good the, the Glorious Revolution you know and when I was doing it it was this this, this, this description was so good I, I could see it I was walking down that corridor you know so they walked down the corridor there was a guard at the door James the first stood there he was sneezing his runny nose and it was yuck you could describe and uh, when we did the, the trilogy with Colin you actually could see yourself in this galleon and the brass and I said what a pity we couldn't actually make this I said get Jason to put some money let's make it visually <laughs> and David said I don't think Jason's got that kind of yeah come on Jason let's do a visual one because it was so well the writing is so good in those big finishes I mean all great professional writers and good casts yes uh, uh, Sid well, that's, that's Sid uh, from, from uh, Deep Space Nine who did about mm -hmm. 12 years sure uh, I wouldn't know, know me Sid but is it, is it Andrew Siddiqui or yeah Siddiqui yeah Alexander Siddiqui yeah and, and of course Miranda Raison yeah. and they get some really great out of Georgie Moffat they get great people to yeah. come and work for because it's such a, a good, happy, relaxed atmosphere. David Tennant, before David, he was the David doctor. Warner. Yeah, David Warner. David Warner. And, you know, normally we, we always take the mickey out of each other. You know, you know, if somebody says, doing an Irish, and we say, I didn't know he was Welsh. But David Warner, you know, he, he, we did a scene, and he just said to David, he said, Fraser, can I just say, that scene, I have really felt that Patrick was in the booth with me. I have, and that's coming from David Warner, one of our great actors. Fantastic, you know, compliment for me. He's incredible. incredible mm. I know that Louise mentioned that that he was one of the reasons she's an actress. Really? Oh, right. That she saw him as a as a young girl on stage, I think, doing Shakespeare. I remember when she was in New York, I mean, she was praising him so so much. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, big finish. But what a brilliant idea to be able to take uh, Doctor Who was. A television show, but it, because of the limitations of the budget, mm -hmm. particularly in the '60s, it had to be about stories and characters, the acting, yeah. the writing, and the story that really drove it. And so, it was almost like a radio show on television mm -hmm. because you, you know, look, Doctor, that's a thing with one eye and it's green and it's heading this way, you know, mm -hmm. because maybe it wasn't visually as yeah. amazing as it could be. So it seemed almost natural that something like Big Finish comes along where you can say, let's, you don't have to worry about hair and makeup, we don't have to worry about trailers yeah, you, and locations. You can say there's a 40-foot monster. And it's still about acting and writing. I always thought it was, it was brilliant. I mean, there's a, there's a great tradition in Britain of continuing to do audio drama. 
you know, that's yeah. one of the, the brilliance of yeah. having BBC Radio. You continue to have audio. We don't have anything like that in the States. Well, I think they're cutting back on drama on BBC Radio now. Which is a shame. Yeah, you know, the one-off plays, you know, the Friday afternoon plays and Friday evening. It's a great thing because there are a lot of people who don't watch television. They'd rather listen to the radio. I, I find, if, if I'm at home during the day, as I work nights, I don't find myself putting on the television. For some reason, Which I... nights? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, when I'm out there working the hard streets. Yeah. Uh, but during the day, I just don't find myself putting on the television sitting in a room. Because no. it's the daytime, you, you, you know, yeah. you're doing things around the house. I put on podcasts, I put on uh, audio dramas and things well, like that. if you're that. driving a car for a long journey. Well, that's the best. Yeah, to, to listen to a play. As our mutual friend Joshua always says, it gets him through traffic. Yeah. You know, you, you, you were with us here in New York traffic. Oh, yeah. You could get through the war games coming and going from, you could, from, actually, yeah. from uh, New York City. To Manhattan and back. Yeah. I didn't realize you it was so big. I thought it was just, I, I got a pilot down there early. I was about 10 minutes away, you know. Yeah, 10 minutes, no. It was no. 10 minutes just to find a parking spot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, these, these things, it's why a lot of Doctor Who fans consider... The, the books that you're reading or the missing episodes that you do in the linking narration to or being finished why it's so important to us because it's it, it, well, that poor lady last night she arrived it was raining she couldn't she got lost from the theatre and she came in about soaking wet and at the end of the night she went to take a picture of me and a battery had died on the camera uh-huh. and she made it all that journey and she said well can I go buy a picture and Anna heard she said uh, yeah, sure. Should you take cards? No. Uh, and, oh, she could, could buy a book. She could. You know. I felt so sorry for that lady. She was soaking wet. And then was, did she get her picture? Yeah. She did? I think somebody, uh, the guy with the, with the proper camera, he took a picture for us. And with an email or something. Email. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Well, we have a great community. Yeah, it is, yeah. Fans. You know, diverse, diverse walks of life. They get together in our common interest. You know, here in New York, we have pub meets and things like that. And there's no videos or signs or anything like that. It's just How documents. come you don't invite me to a pub meet? You can like Sandra, let's have a pub meet. You can come. You maybe go to a theater. I want to go to a pub. You can come to a yeah, pub. You can have a good time you, know. you like, yeah. and you know that. We'd have a glass of the old throat varnish, couldn't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you know darn well if you said, I'm going to be in New York, let's go to a pub. Yeah. Right. I said to the Doctor Who fans, let's roll. Yeah, they would roll right in. Yeah, let's go to a pub. That's very good. And 50 or 60 pints later, you'd say, I'm done. Take me home. I have to say a big thank you to my landlord, Bill Davis, for putting me up for the week. Yes, Great. thank you. Bill, you did a, a fantastic job not only putting you up for the week while you were in New York, but helping you organize a lot of the behind-the-scenes yeah. things with the screens yeah, with the and screen, the audio. Um, and downloading the audio and the, the DVD. And girls, he's attractive, he's single, has his own house, <laughs> he's very tidy, and he makes his own bed. So, thank you. <laughs> Bill Davis. <laughs> what? I have an agent. Give him a call. I have an agent. Yeah, look him up on <laughs> yeah, Facebook. Yeah, look him up on Facebook. Plays the guitar, get, too. Plays the guitar. He's in a band. He's in a band. He's in a band. Band. He's rock, you know, he loves yeah, rock and roll. Like a little heavy metal. Yeah. Look him up on Facebook. Good picture. He's set. No. He's set. You'll be inundated there. I'm Bill Davis's pimp. <laughs> but he makes his own bed, you know, that's, you know, for guy, you know, women love a guy who can make his own bed. They don't just leave the bed like, damn, yeah, that's what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you've got a wife to make it, you know, you know. Oh, yeah, no, she'll leave it for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, on top of things. His wife rang him the other day. He said, where the hell are you? He said, well, honey, 
Do you know that jeweler's shop? Would you like those diamond earrings worth three thousand dollars? She said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, I'm in the pub next door with Fraser." <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, on good. Yeah. Past week. And thanks great. for joining us on the podcast. It yes, really. That's good. That's been I, great. I, we had a nice afternoon here in the sunroom. We have relaxing a little bit. Yeah, Jill's sunroom as well. Um, will you join us again well, at some point? Certainly will be. Yeah. Back to New York. Oh, certainly will. Yeah. I, I, we'd love to have you back. I, mean, I really hope you had a good experience here. Well, I'm, I'm going to visit Barry sometime. You know, uh, he said come on over now and stay with us. So when I come over a week's holiday or something, I'll give you guys a call. And Absolutely. We'll, we'll do the pub meet that time. And then we do we'll a pub meet, yeah. And we'll, we'll meet up and have a little glass of the varnish. Fantastic. Thank you so much Pleasure. for all your time. Thank you. Cheers. And that concludes my sit-down with Fraser Hines. He's joining us at Icon 31, which is here in New York. It's at uh, Stony Brook University here on Long Island, March 30th, 31st, and April 1st, 2012. He joined Sylvester McCoy, Daphne Ashbrook, Colin Spurl, uh, Steve Gostello, who is the man behind some of the Daleks and Cybermen in 30 years in the TARDIS, as well as author John Peel. That's our sort of Doctor Who side. And, and that, there's a caveat to that because there's a bunch of other sci-fi guests joining us at ICON, and many of them have Doctor Who connections. As you know, Sarah Douglas has done some voice for some of the adventure mm-hmm. games and some big finish. And Jeremy Bullock played Tor in Space Museum and Hal the Archer in Time Warrior. And Nana Visitor from Star Trek Deep Space Nine is joining us, and she was in Torchwood. Yeah. So there's actually more more than meets the eye when it comes to uh, to Doctor Who related guests at Icon. It's it's almost like a Doctor Who convention. It almost is, which is it's fantastic. Sylvester's coming back for the first time this century. I think 1989 was the last time he was at Icon, and and of course he's got The Hobbit coming out later this year, which is going to be fantastic. Um, hopefully, hopefully we can wring some information out of him about The Hobbit and um, and Daphne and Fraser and, and Colin as well, who's just uh, Colin Spurl, who's, who's we just mentioned in Revelation of the Daleks, as well as Rise of the Cybermen and Age yeah. of Steel. And, and, uh, and, I've, got, uh, I've got to correct you there. It's Colin Spall. Spall is how you pronounce his name properly? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a good friend of uh, Colton Collective, so I had my picture taken with him when he was in Manchester. He's a, a, uh, a double uh, of yours. Yeah, <laughs> at the Fab Cafe, yeah. It does look like Dave, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. I, there was one picture of both of you together, and, and it was just like, oh, they, it, 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 they were like doubles. Yeah, so if you see him, say hello from me. Cause we, uh, I don't suppose you'll remember, but uh, it was great because one week he was in America and met Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Uh, they shook hands. A week later, he was in the UK shaking my hands, and that's the nearest I've got to shaking Ian's hand. <laughs> I think yeah, Ian... I've never met him before, and he's done a, a, quite a few conventions, but yeah. it's one of those we've narrowly missed each other on several occasions. I don't think he's done galley, so... Um, we had him on our show. Uh, I think Ian interviewed him for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there's other non-Doctor Who guests coming to um, to Icon as well. So, if, I think it's iconsf.org is the website. Yep, iconsf.org is the is the website, and there's obviously there's tickets still available, and you save money if you buy them in advance, and that's always good. 
and it's a it's it's actually a pretty good value if you look at the prices compare it to other conventions and and some of these monstrous corporate conventions uh, this is a, a a convention run by fans by a volunteer community of fans for fans and and priced accordingly and, and there's a few conventions I attend Gallifrey Chicago TARDIS icons some things like that you you get there's a certain type of convention I like I go to some of the big ones like Comic-Con and things like that and there's a big difference when it's fan run and and I'm all for that it's it's great seeing everyone dressed up and you know all the cosplayers roaming because it's uh, for the, for those that don't know Icon is at a uh, college campus so seeing them all you know <laughs> seeing all these various different um, sci-fi superhero um, fantasy a lot of anime and anime there's, and, a, there's uh, a big big anime presence at at Icon and cosplay is huge yeah. as well as steampunk um, you know that the there's actually going to be a Doctor Who a New York-based Doctor Who cosplay meetup on Sunday at the convention, which is kind of cool. So that's a that's a call out for Doctor Who cosplayers to uh, maybe we twist twist his arm just right. Maybe we can get Sylvester to take some pictures with everybody. That would be fantastic. Yeah, so that's it's something that we're really looking forward to because it's um, as Ken had said, it's been a long time since we had so many Doctor Who guests, you know, there at once. Sylvester McCoy was, I think, 1999, so it's... It's been a long time since we had a a Doctor Who guest, (laughs) much less have a few of them, so... It's worth traveling to. I know a couple of people from some of the fan groups in Philadelphia and Boston have already been in contact about about making the trip and, you know, what the hotels are like, and and everything's pretty affordable, and that's the cool thing about it. And the hotel rates are similar to Galley in that I think they're 99 or $100 a night, and um, I know the Holiday Inn is, is the official hotel, but there's two two others in the area that offer competitive rates, and, and one of them actually matches anything that the official con hotel does which is kind of cool i know a few out of area people are i'm looking forward to seeing some people i've, I've never met before but i've been friends with like on facebook and and whatnot it's it's kind of cool so, that's really to me like you go to gallifrey or to any of the, the cons that i frequent to me it's a lot of it has to do with getting a chance to meet other people other fans face to face people with similar interests you know like-minded i mean we all we all share sci-fi we all share doctor who as our as our common interest that's cool you get a chance to to chat about some of the stuff that you like talk about you can get a chance to chat about the silurians if you like so mark your calendars march 30th through april 1st and even though it's april 1st it's it's no joke All right. Well, I think that's going to round out our show. We had a, a, a good show, and as always, I thank you both for for being a part of it, and thanks everyone for listening. And uh, as always, you can always send in your feedback to Pachak the the, the, cup, the public call box, Pachak's public call box, which is two zero six nine eight four three five four three, and visit us at Pachak dot net, our website. There's been a uh, a, a call out for. Um, to expand some of the forums there to some of the audio adventures and, and whatnot. And so we're going to accommodate that as well on our website. And um, as always, if you have any ideas or suggestions or anything that's not on the website that, that you feel should be, whatever, don't don't be shy. We're always um, open to um, to your input. Dave, are you a Big Finish listener? 
Uh, I've got a few. I mean, the last one I listened to was actually uh, the Pirates one, the one with the, the Sixth Doctor, and uh, mm-hmm. I really did enjoy that. And I also uh, I've, I've bought a few of their uh, ones. They did uh, a couple of Highlander ones. I would actually like to listen to some of their Sapphire and Steel ones as well. So, um, uh, yeah, they've and got of course, you written all over them, don't they? With like the, yeah. the the list of franchises that they do audio dramas for. The, the reason I asked is because I know the Tom Baker, uh, the, the Tom Baker line just started with Destination Nerva, and I was wondering if you had heard it yet. No, but uh, but they uh, when I said uh, earlier about uh, listening to BBC Radio Four Extra, they've just uh, replayed all of the Hornets Nest series with Tom Baker. Mm. Yeah, well, they Big Finish just just launched their Tom Baker line for the first time, and Destination Nerva. I, I uh, it, it's short. It's if you if you're not familiar with big finish if you've never tried it before it's a it's actually a good starting point because it's there's not a whole lot that you have to know you just start with the fact that it's tom baker and louise jameson and it's the doctor and leela and they set you right up and it's it it sounds like the old days and that's all you really need to know and then you can explore from there so it's a it's a good starting point especially if there's so much material that they've done over the years i mean so many different lines so if you're looking for a starting point, if it, it seemed like it was too daunting because there's over a decade of big finish material, that Destination Nerve is a good place to start. Well, it's it's good to have those audio ventures, you know, on hand, especially if you haven't really, because a lot of this is new for people, you know, people that haven't discovered the audio ventures. And during this time where we're waiting for fall for new Doctor you know, television stories, um, if you've um, exhausted the DVDs, which I doubt you have, but there's always um, there's there's always material out there, be it you know uh, um, on DVD or the audio venture, you know diff- different audio ventures, be, be it um, you know stuff from um, that you'll find on um, on Audible. There's stuff on um, on Big Finish. Um, there's plenty of stuff. The bo- Radio Four we were just mentioned earlier in the show. There are books as well. You actually get a book and read a book. How quaint, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, one thing we haven't mentioned is, of course, all this uh, uh, thoughts about this new Doctor uh, Who coming to the PlayStation 3, isn't there? Yeah, we mentioned it in, in one of our, our previous episodes. I'm not mistaken, maybe, I think you might have even brought it up, Dave. Yeah, there was... Uh, or, or no, no, I think Ken brought it up. Um, there, there was a promo, which was, didn't really, yeah. you know, give you too much. It was just sort of like a, a te- well, a, a teaser barely for it. Yeah, it might have been actually Graham Sheridan that did that. He might have done it on the website. Uh, no, one of the episodes I think I think Ken had mentioned it that it just we were recording and I think the news had just broke about it. Well, so that's something to look things. forward to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, we are all concerned that, uh, you know, Doctor Who's going to be off our screens for such a long time. We hope there's going to be a payoff. Um, I think uh, Ken was saying about the the number of episodes that Stephen Moffat has promised us. So we, we do know more Doctor Who's coming. It's just a little bit of a wait. Yes, uh, for me, it's not... I mean, well, I don't say for me, but for, for, for a lot of Doctor Who fans, it's, I don't see it so much as an issue because like we said there's just so much Doctor Who material out there be um, you know 
we're, we're approaching 50 years of Doctor Who. So there's uh, between television episodes, um, uh, the, the, there's the, even the, the missing stories, you can get, you know, reconstructions of them or, um, you know, there's, you know, you, you can read them, you can, um, there's the audio, there's just so much out there when it comes to Doctor Who. So I, I don't think, you know, if, if you're not finding new material, you're not looking hard enough. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that's going to wrap up this show. So until next time, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Bye. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented by the fan-run GallifreyEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible in part by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app for iOS devices now available in the iTunes App Store. Visit ArtTrap.com for more on this and other podcasts. Hello. Are you a Silurian? Look, do you understand me? Well, what do your people want? How can we help you? How many are there of you? Tell us what we can do. Wait! 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 Unless you Silurians tell us what you want, the humans will destroy you!